All right. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another Learning Tech Talks, where we are continuing to explore the landscape of learning technology and other things. But today is the landscape of learning technology. We're talking about we're in the space of digital and how we enable folks from a digital standpoint, which is an important area when we think about how many systems people are using in the workplace, but in a different lens than I've historically taken. So I think you're going to be interested in how we approach this one. Uh, we're going to be talking about tutorials and how to do that, which is going to get into content management and change management. And I mean, we're going to go in a whole bunch of different angles. But to help me navigate that conversation, I'm joined by Sean Adams from IORAD. Sean, thanks for being here. Christopher, thanks for having me. Excited to get this conversation right. going. I know. We're going we're gonna to have fun. And I always have fun. But we're, I'm a little... I told you backstage. I'm a little fired up today. So I have a little more energy than I usually do, although I think I have a lot of energy just in general. So for those of you listening or watching, you may need to turn the volume down or something like that in case I get too fired up. But for those who, let's start with your background, Sean, because when we were talking backstage, you talked about the fact that you don't have a traditional L&D background, which I actually love when I talk to people who don't have the L&D background, because I think it's a nice balance between the conversations. But that does lead to the question, how did you end up at a, I would guess, learning tech company? Yeah, uh, unconventional will come up a couple times in my background. So um, <laughs> I, I started actually in the small business world. So when I was in high school, I started a little uh, landscaping contracting company and spent about really? the first 10 years of my, my professional career growing and, and trying to scale uh, an SMB, which was um, unbelievably difficult and learned a thousand ways not uh, on how not to do it. And one of the things that was really um, important during that time was really software, right? So this was probably the... 2010, 11 period. So the cloud was really starting. For your business or just in yeah. general? For the business. Really? For, business. for landscape? You were, okay. I'm yeah. actually really curious to hear how that intersects. Yeah. So I was, you know, kind of uh, early 20s, kind of figuring out uh, how to get more efficient, work myself out of the field, these sort of things. And I always okay. loved tech and started using it in my own business and could just see that this was going to revolutionize things, that it was going to make remote possible, that it was going to touch every industry. Uh, from CRMs, ERPs, scheduling, text messages, like okay. all these different technologies were really going to work their way in. I mean, never could have predicted what the next 10, 15 years was going to hold. But yeah, essentially, I fell in love with the process of seeing tech revolutionize a business and process within that. And as I started to work myself out of the business, uh, I, I had an opportunity to actually sell the company and I wanted to do more in software. So I started doing uh, independent consulting, helping other small businesses get tech in place. Uh, a lot of what I learned on my own. And one of the number one things I was doing was helping set up these systems for contractors and other small businesses. And they really, really had a hard time understanding what the hell I was talking about. And I would try to explain. Click this. Well, that's what I was going to say in the beginning is you're talking about your landscaping and that whole thing, the fact you were already thinking of, hey, uh, there are ways I could automate and improve and do all of this through these other tech tools. That's not necessarily something that I think comes just by default to a lot of business owners of going, you know, there's ways that I could do this much better by implementing new technology. It all stems from laziness. So I just... <laughs> Dislike, <laughs> dislike repeating myself, right? So like if there's yeah. a way that I have to answer a no, question- No, there's a better way to say it. You disliked inefficiency. 
Yeah. I, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll pretend like Here, I'm I was being that. diplomatic. <laughs> we can pretend I was that strategic, but what it really was, sure, was okay. I have a short attention span and a short patience. So like on the third question of the same exact phrased thing, I'm like, there's got to be something I can document so someone can just learn and self-serve this so I don't have to repeat myself. And when I was getting the consulting world, it was constant. And I'm getting in the weeds at $10 an hour admin tasks. And I'm like, this is just not a good use of my time. So let me work on instructional content. Like how can I build okay. videos and, and those sort of things. And when I broke it into video format versus an email and text, people really started to get it. And they were like, okay, yeah, I, I can follow you. You don't have to be there with me. And, and those more, um, you know, the technically challenged industries really appreciated that. And yeah. um, I basically, one of the, the, the software companies I was uh, implementing for, for a number of companies said, why don't you just come work internally for us on the sales side? You used to be who our customer base is, you'll be able to speak their language perfectly. You're already doing the work. And so I joined the whole crazy account executive SaaS world um, a number of years ago, worked for a couple of different firms in that space, and uh, still was kind of trying to do all this documentation whenever I could to help our customers. And then uh, found IORAD as a consumer first. So you became an accidental instructional designer in some ways. In some ways. Yeah. I mean, in, in some ways you kind of did because it was like, well, I see these problems and all these things people are running into. And rather than me sit and repeat myself, which is not scalable and inefficient and actually quite frustrating. What if I actually scale this up and use technology to make me scalable in some ways? Yeah. And the realization I'm just like super bad at so many things and <laughs> good at like a very small handful. And I realized that when I was doing the things that I was good at, like selling, like telling a story, like helping share value to people, I was happier. I, I would work like the time would fly by. But when I was doing these other tasks, I was horrendous. I was miserable. And I'm like, I got to just get obsessed with the process of process. Right. And if I can get these things to have the other people do them, process. Or like it. make it easier for people to be empowered to do them themselves. This this is actually really helpful, and I don't have to again laziness have to do them anymore or manage them, and that really changed the game for me. IORAD was one of the things I found, and 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 okay. in the conversation with the the owner uh, as well, being like, this is oh my god, yeah, I'm gonna I'm going to be selling this to people whether I'm paid to do it or not, and then it became <laughs> why don't I? You might as well work there. <laughs> You know, what's funny though, and then what I'm going to add next, I want to talk about what IRED is, but what's interesting about it is some of the most innovative thinkers that I've known over the years, they may just self-describe themselves as lazy, but a lot of times what I see is really this intrinsic drive to go, I get frustrated by inefficiency. I get really frustrated by inefficiency. And if I can find a more efficient and better way to do it, I will. And yes, maybe it's because I don't like doing it. So how do I get out of it? Which could be tagged as laziness, but usually, and even you described it, it wasn't really that. It was, there are things that give me joy, things I like doing, and I want to find more time to spend time on that and not time on this useless, annoying stuff that drives me bonkers. So while I can see from the surface, and this is what I see a lot of times, it's seen it. I was that kid in math class in school. I'm like, this is so stupid. I'd just rather find an easier way to do this type of thing. It wasn't because I didn't want to do the work. It was because I'm like, I'd rather spend my time on the collaboration and discussion rather than sitting here writing this out that has absolutely no value to anyone. But I think that's, it's an interesting pattern that I see raising up 
uh, in many people I encounter. Yeah. So on this one though, so you ultimately go, ta-da, like light bulb moment. Wow, this IORAD thing is actually nailing it for me. When you tell people you work for it, because you said you would sell it, whether you <laughs> work there or not, what is it? Yeah. So the, the simple elevator pitch is the last time you had to show a screenshot to explain how to do something in a piece of technology, you could have created an interactive, step-by-step, -step, engaging tutorial using IORAD. So that time where you took a screenshot, you uploaded it, you drew an arrow and said, click, then type, then this. And then 65 minutes goes by and you're like, oh my God, I just tried to do all of that to explain a three second task. We have a simple extension, click it, go through the task in real time. Our tool figures out everything you did. And in this, the time it takes you to do it yourself, it puts it together into a step-by-step -step simulated tutorial of what you just went through. It includes a voiceover. It has an interactive component. So you're going to physically go through the task that the person documented and from a learning perspective, it is just night and day difference when someone's looking at a picture of a moment in time of a screen versus the process of going through step by step by step through a task. Okay. So in many ways, as I'm thinking about it, it's, and I think anybody who's in the instructional design or done anything around systems, when we say simulation, it can, it's very much a simulator. Well, let me ask that is, does it do simulation in terms of interactivity or is it designed to be consumption? So it's designed to be a safe space. So one of the modes is called our triad mode. It's designed to be a safe okay. space for a learner, whether they've seen this for the 300th time or the first time to be able to click through or type through or whatever the actions okay. are in a flow, right? So our goal is actually to speed them through the tutorial in the path of least resistance in the, the least amount of time as possible. Most instructional design tries to give them the most amount of information. Yeah, I know. I was like, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's that. Uh, the goal it's that, is to simplify it and say, let us get you. But my, I guess my question to it from a simulation standpoint is it does have, when I go back to the what, so yes, you could have it create something that allows you to see how the system works, but also there is a capability to say, hey, if we actually want you to do something so that you're actually interacting and engaging with it, it does have that as well. Yes? Yes. Yep. Okay. Okay. Exactly. So, and we're going to get into all of the fun on that because to your point, <laughs> there's a way you can do that well, and there's a way you can make a Franken simulation that ends up being not such a great thing. But we'll, we'll get into that because one of the things that you talked about that I actually want to double click on, which I told you we were going to do this, is this making time, taking time to make time. Yeah. <laughs> and what you said where I think everybody can relate to that situation where somebody's asked a question and you go, well, let me just quick do this thing for you. And in your head, it's going to be this really quick thing. And before you know it, that really quick thing turned into 45 minutes or an hour that you sent to one person that then you end up repeating a thousand times over. So I'm curious on that one because I do see this where sometimes people don't always make that connection to say, sometimes you got to put in time to actually make up time in the long term. Like you may think you're saving yourself time by, oh, I'll just do this really fast. That's faster mm -hmm. than me doing something else. But it sounds like you're actually trying to close that gap to go, 
no, actually, we're trying to reduce the gap. So it's not taking as much time to make that time, but it's still accomplishing the same thing. Yes. So what I learned in my small business ownership days was this concept of linear activities and then exponential activities. And when you look at your day, most people's days, especially entrepreneurs, you look at a whole bunch of linear stuff, which is if I wanted to have a conversation about IORAD and I reach out to Christopher and we have the one-to-one conversation, that's wonderful. He now understands it. Maybe he buys, maybe he tells a friend, great. What is exponential is I target Christopher who has an audience who would have me on his podcast. <laughs> now let that do all the working for me. Right. So yeah. it's the small thing that you have to do manually. Now there's a great book called the, the, uh, the one thing, what is the one thing such that by doing it, it alleviates others or makes other things unimportant. Right. So like yep. by me taking the time to document a specific process. So that hour that I could spend showing you on zoom where it goes in that person's ear and then they kind of sort of remember 50% of it. And then they ask you the same question in Slack two weeks from now. Or I put that hour into a specific tutorial, group of tutorials that is now an evergreen thing that people can interact with and learn from and be able to grow with and simply iterate and expand upon, right? That's exponential in terms of the return of that time spent. Still one hour, still the same amount of energy. One hour time invested with exponential return. Drastically different results. You know, it's funny because in many ways you're... You have to, I talked about this, uh, when was it? I think it was a couple weeks ago where we were talking about thinking like a PL leader. And in many ways, what you're talking about there, it's that same kind of mindset. Yes, we can all spend $100, but there are certain things that you can spend $100 on and it costs you $100. And there are certain things you can spend $100 on that are going to make you $10,000. And what you want to do is get better at making the decision to spend the $100 on more things that net 10 grand instead of the things like that. And what's funny is just a personal example. That's actually how learning tech talks started Mm. was because I spend a lot of time talking to vendors anyway. And then people reach out to me and then they ask me questions. Well, what do you know about this vendor or that vendor? What do you think on this type of a thing or all of it? And I was, then I would have follow-up meetings with all these people. And it was actually eating a ton of my time where I was going, this is actually a terribly inefficient way for me to do the thing that I'm already doing. So out of that grew, well, why don't I just record these conversations <laughs> and put them out for the masses? And if somebody finds them helpful, great. And if somebody emails me, I can say, why don't you just go watch this video that I did with this group type of thing? But the same kind of mindset, it's extremely powerful. Yeah. And I, and I find that, you know, it, it, not coming from the LD space, but talking to a lot of LD leaders, and I'll, I'll group sales enablement in that category as well as a kind of growing, yep. learning division. It's a, it's a sister tribe for sure. It gets viewed very much as this siloed department that helps document stuff for people. And it's like, yes, there's a component of that, but learning is happening every day in every transaction, in every corner of your organization. The, the organizations I see doing this properly are figuring out how to enable their collective groups to to basically power what we call our knowledge loop or those little interactions of where the learnings are happening. And that's where I think the biggest changes are happening. We call it subject matter expertise extraction. The idea that it doesn't have to be an instructional design person going, okay, Christopher, which button did you click on next? And then what did you do? And then what did you do? And and no one enjoys that experience. Um, But if you say, Hey, 
I, you're the expert in this. Before you do it live, do you mind just clicking this button first and then doing it and then hitting the button when you're done? That'll give me your entire brain downloaded and exactly how you think about this process. I will then take my instructional design background and beauty it up and change this and alter this and make sure it fits in our, in our theme and you know checks all of our, our boxes from a creative standpoint. That idea then starts to kind of extract the know-how from these siloed groups, makes it a much more of a like top-level strategy of being a learning forward org versus, yeah, we should probably invest in an LMS and hope that solves all of our questions that come into our you know, customer chat or our uh, internal chat. Yeah. Well, and in many regards, what you're talking about is in the industry, kind of a trend. Um, I, I hate saying trend, but it's something that a lot of organizations are trying to do more of, which is this user generated content, this idea of how do we get more of our users generating content, which I like to think of it more keeping on the theme of what we've been talking about is what you're doing is enabling learning at scale. Because the reality is over the years, I have never been in an organization where I've gone, you know what, we've nailed it. <laughs> I mean, we've got every, like literally everything that everyone could possibly need in the organization. I don't need to do anything. We've totally got it down. And I don't care how much hype there is about generative AI. It's not going to be able to keep up with this stuff, at least not in a meaningful way. And I think this is one of the things where what we're talking about sometimes gets perceived as a threat to the value of our organization where it's like, well, if we have other people doing this and we're just asking them to do it, doesn't that mean they don't need us anymore? And to me, I'm like, well, I mean, I guess if the only thing you're doing is like you said, sitting on the other side going, can you click next? Okay, click next. Yes, click next. If that's all you're doing, then yes. Then yes, it is going, it's coming for you. But I think there's a lot more value to what strategic L&D can do for an organization than be on the other side of a screen capturing screenshots or capturing screencasts of what people are doing or you know putting up their powerpoints the marketplace will always make room for high performing operators regardless of the technology yes you know, and like, that's the difference. If you're doing something that can be replaced by AI, you're going to be replaced by AI. But if you can yeah. be the crane operator version of that, then you're going to be in high demand. And that's the difference. It's that switch of you know strategy versus tactical or what I'm talking about, about linear tasks versus exponential tasks. The AI needs you to ask it a question in order for it to deliver the piece of content, the answer that you want. What I find with a lot of orgs is they go to sit a, and they have the blank screen problem. They log into their LMS and they go, I don't know what to put in this box. Like, I don't know I don't what to look know. for. Yeah. The best place to have that is in real time conversations, right? So like what we usually do with our customers when we're talking about external enablement content, we use our demos and our conversations as literal FAQ hunts. We're just waiting for the customer to ask us questions. And I go, perfect. Click that is an insight that I'm now going to make a video on because if you have that question, Mr. Customer, odds are a lot of other people do. It's the same thing internally. And so we need to be able to bank those resources of the right types of things we need to document or the places where people are struggling. That's where we can allocate more time for that kind of more exponential return. Well, and what's interesting, and I wasn't necessarily planning on going here, but I'm going to tie us to this because it does have a connection to this whole idea of generative AI. It, it connects 
two things in the sense that this goes back to this value statement of what is it that L&D's role is in some of these things. And to your point, often what people are struggling with is they don't know the right questions to ask or to be able to know, well, when do I ask that? They don't know what they don't know. And even in the sense of what we described about, you know, how you may be doing tutorials or simulations on the software stuff, many people, even subject matter experts, a lot of times they've been doing it so long, they don't even know that they're doing it. They don't even realize that they're doing it. And it actually takes us to go, hang on a second. We're seeing a pattern in what's happening. Can you actually stop for one second and actually put some critical thought into how you're going through this? So that we can capture that because you are doing it really well and identifying who are those people that are doing it really well and going, that's the person we need to scale. Because going back to our earlier discussion, who's the one person you can connect with that can, you can tap into their knowledge that helps a thousand other people versus the one person that, yeah, well, I mean, they know something, but like literally they're the only person in the company that needs to know it. So <laughs> quite frankly, it's fine if they're really the only person who needs to know how to do it. And that critical capability of us asking the right question and digging into that actually then ties to this, which again, generative AI can't solve that because like you said, if you don't, and I've seen this with the prompts, if you don't ask the right questions, if you don't ask it the specific things, it truly can do nothing. So even going back to, well, once, you know, what Microsoft launched the announcement of what Copilot, I mean, I think it's, it's super exciting, but is Copilot necessarily going to just know how to tell everybody what to do? No, because they may not even know to ask it these kinds of things to be able to say, Hey, what are the things that you actually need support with? I think the context is so important here, right? I think it's the same discussion that could have been made in the late 90s with the internet and you thinking yeah. that there's going to be this internet of things and this search engine with all-knowing, you know, omnipresence, right? Like you're not going to think at the time that that's going to be as powerful as I'm being, but it's also not just going to like ruin everyone's job. It's just an expansion mechanism. It just makes the pie larger and the potential larger, but there needs to be the human context the, uh, the creativity piece to tell it what to help you with, right? Google is not going to solve your problem unless you type the right question you're looking for into Google. And that's just the, the I think it's a very similar type of um, approach that we're seeing with AI for sure. Well, and I think tying back to even these simulation type things, this is where the role of the learning organization still plays a critical role in this because even going back to, yeah, maybe a subject matter expert could just, to your point, click the button and do their thing they're just going to mechanically go through what they do versus we have the opportunity to go, okay, now what parts of this are actually confusing or do we need to draw more attention to because we know these are the areas that more people are getting stuck on or things like that so that we can actually maximize that versus, I mean, yeah, you could create thousands and thousands of tutorials, but that may not necessarily be the right approach. And just because you hand over the keys to anybody to do it doesn't mean they're creating quality value add stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And that would be the distinction I would make that the, the instructional design department, the L&D strategy looking down and going, we understand, you know, the, the pedagogical learning behavior of, of, you know, adults, right? We understand what actually resonates and how those things can be weaved into the, the content that was captured, right? We can take the block of marble that we got and 
carve it into the piece of art. Turn it into David. (laughs) And that's that's the art science mix that's always a little challenging to nail down, right? So use of the tools for the extraction, for... Um, you know, the, the honing in for saving time, absolutely. But leveraging the people for the strategy, the creative things you didn't think to ask. I mean, that that's really, really where I think there's so much value. And it empowers people for the self-serve journey, right? I mean, when you're in some of these more complex systems, think of a CRM or an ERP or something where infinite potential of, th- of options, workflows, things you can build. Literally you're, infinite. You're, you're, basically crowdsourcing bottlenecks because people are going to try to do all kinds of crafty things for that. So why not tap into that crowdsourcing and say, hey, this sounds like it's this thing you're trying to accomplish. Me as the L&D leader, I'm happy to help you collaborate on documenting this into something. We might have to involve some other parties. Let's do that together and use tutorials and interactivity to document what we already have a baseline knowledge of, where you're trying to get to, and then pull in the people who can go, yeah, no, I mean, I don't think that part's valuable, but if you looked at this side, that actually might be something that we could do now, you know, and it's this, this pulling of what's available, the, the tech, the people, the creativity, you know, th- those are where I think the future of the learning side is going. Yeah. Well, and on top of that, even going a step upstream from that, there's a lot of critical analysis that even goes into identifying who are those people, because going back to systems, I just... I've spent a lot of times in systems and there are lots of people doing a task and there are lots of people who are doing it ineffectively and inefficiently. And then there are those lazy ones, air quotes, who they figured out, hey, this is actually the best way to get this done. I figured out how to do it through the least amount of clicks. Or if I do this workflow this way, this actually makes my job easier. And it takes somebody being able to not just go, I don't know, let's have Sean make a thing because he does it. And it's like, well, yeah, but is Sean the right person? Because is he actually the one who's doing it how we want to as a business organization or in the most effective way? And I think navigating that, there's a lot of critical analysis and thought that goes into that. That can't You can't just turn it on and go, all right, well, go everybody, do a thing. Another example of where the human touch is so paramount. Right. So we, we think of it about this. We're a small organization, but we think about the word consensus a lot. So we all tend to take the ball and run with it. And just because we're small resource strapped, we're just trying to get things done. But what we started realizing is we might get 50 yards down the field with our particular project and realize I need some help with this. And then you loop in someone else and they go, dude, at the two yard line, you miss like these 11 things. You're like, <laughs> yeah, I got to go backwards. Right. Instead of listen, here's how I'm thinking about this. Let's have a meeting, hyper-specific, and you and I talked about this backstage, about these specific deliverables and how I think I should go about this. Before moving forward, here's how I'm planning to go about this, but I have my counterparts around me to go, this I think might be a little bit better. Let's pull from that. Let's pull from this. And you bring the right ingredients into that mix. So when someone executes on a project, it's like, okay, well, Lauren has the best strategy for this project management in our CRM. And Andy has the best strategy for this piece in, in that handoff to the ops side. And then we're sort of collaborating and, and making decisions based on consensus, but around a very specific defined scope of work versus, 
we should probably learn how to use our CRM today. Let's see if there's like a training somewhere, right? And then they just hop on and they get a little bit from the product team, a little bit for some random person that happened to answer them on internal messaging. Yep. And then it's just this cobbled together mess instead of like the strategy piece of the right parties or asking who we think are the right parties and then arriving at consensus. And then that becomes the learning path. Well, and this goes back to taking the time to make time in that I've been in plenty of organizations where what we just described right there can sound like, well, we don't. And again, sometimes this really happens in small startup things where everybody's just moving and shaking where it's like that. We don't have time for that kind of stuff. We just got to get it done. And I think one of the challenges with that that I've seen is we often don't take into account the downstream time and inefficiency that gets wasted when we don't do this well. And that's not to say, to be fair, I've seen plenty of organizations where they get way too caught up on the front end and that becomes a bloated bureaucratic. They can't do anything until they've thought through every possible scenario that may or may not happen in the history of eternity. <laughs> okay, that's not that's not what we're talking about. But what we're talking about is actually trying to think through and go, okay, who is the best person to seek out this piece. Okay. You're accountable and you can own that. You own the decisions. You got this, you got this. I think we've thought through what this is go and move this forward, but we don't think if we don't do that, we're like, Hey, we moved quick. <laughs> and then the next year we're cleaning up messes because we didn't take that time. Yeah. Yeah. We, we talked backstage about the, the, um, Jeff Bezos, uh, Amazon shareholder letter of people overestimate the things that they can reverse. Uh, so like they're so focused on not making a mistake that they actually, the real mistake is they don't move quick enough for most of these things. And then the action doesn't get taken. And then they just, they dwell on some little font of, on an email instead of like actually getting the thing done. And it's like, okay, well, that's actually not productive, right? When you, when you boil this down to like the, the impact of the actions you're doing now and that exponential versus linear, and realizing that like everything is a proof of concept, right? So just start and get going. You get high level. When I talk about consensus, I mean, here's the main thesis and project and why I'm going to go do that. Cool. Makes sense. Any big bottlenecks, see you around a corner. Great. Move forward. Not down to the nitty gritty of the task management. And when you get that consensus, then you're moving forward and you're going, okay. And then when you get somewhere, assuming this is all proof of concept and there is a slip up, there is, it gets more complicated. There's more bottlenecks. Then it's the conversation of like, okay, I've got to involve X uh, subject matter experts, or I would like to document how I'm doing this to see if there are any other tweaks out there. So it's a combination. I mean, we're, we're generalizing here, but that is the main you know, kind of concept. No, and I think, it, but it's an important call out because this step gets missed a lot. And when it does, it caught the downstream effect is, I mean, it can truly be catastrophic. It really can to an organization when they don't do this well. And I think taking the time to do that, but again, being sure you're clear on what it is that, and I'm not a sports person at all, but so I, I, the analogy came up in one of my conversations and someone was talking about the fact that we don't treat things like baseball in the sense that the best hitter in the league is not hitting the ball every time they're up to bat. I mean, if they're hitting a third of the time, it's they're knocking it out of the park type of a thing. Yet in business, oftentimes we're like, we can't do this because what if something goes wrong? And it's like, it's yeah. something is going to go wrong. I mean, something's going to go wrong. It's about going, 
what are the biggest things we want to make sure don't go wrong and then being okay with pushing it out and going, well, we'll, we'll course correct on the smaller things, but that's an art and a science. Like we said. Yeah. The scrambling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I want to, Alan, your question uh, or your, your comment actually tied to where I want to go next with this. When it comes to the multiple authors and how you can actually, again, going back to asking the right questions and thinking strategically about this, I do actually want to talk about some of the efficiency behind this because when it comes to some of these things, and I'm actually going to tie this to content management, because one of the things that sometimes will come up is, um, hang on here, let me let me jot this down so I know where I am. We can do some of this stuff now, right? There's ways that I've talked to people and they're like, oh, well, we've got screencasting tools or we might have e-learning tools to do some of this now. Going back on the theme of this from an efficiency standpoint and making sure the right authors are contributing and things like that, what are some of the pain points that you've seen with kind of the traditional approach to this? Because again, there's a bajillion ways that you can do things. But going back to our thinking about what's the $100 that turns to 10,000 instead of 100 that goes to zero, not all ways are created equal. So what are some of the biggest pain points you observe in the way people are handling this now? Yeah. So some of the, the, uh, tools on the market for capturing product walkthrough product guides, anything as a digital, uh, instructional guide, they tend to be one very disconnected from the end learner. So, so it's, it's a couple of things. It's one time spent to actually create. Secondly, it's location of where they find it and access it. And third, was it made through the learner's lens? Like something that's actually enjoyable to consume. So on the first piece of time, most of these tools take a tremendous amount of cobbling together of multiple tools to put into this third party location that kinds to be hard to get into and and kind of guided and, and, and held off. And so with this you know, extraction of subject matter expertise, what I mean by that is literally it's the amount of time, like what we talk about with IORAD is like, it should take you the amount of time it takes to show you over the shoulder training. And what we lost with COVID was the in-office thing, which was a good thing overall, which was, Chris, we're in the same uh, you know, cubicle. I, I hang, How do you find that thing again? And then you lean over your desk over my shoulder and you go, no, 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 there and then there and then here. And you're like, oh, okay, I got it. We missed okay, that. Yeah because we don't have that location. So what, you know, one of the big things IRAD solves for is the ability for you to create this really nice end product in that same over the shoulder type of way, where it's you click, 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 they then see exactly what you did in real time. And then they can expand upon that, ask questions, they can put that into other locations. So the time night and day difference from from using an IRAD to create these sort of things, it's one of the the, the main uses is, is from a metric perspective. The location piece uh, or where it actually goes, if it's a learning management system, a content hub, a knowledge base, what have you, that's where all of this stuff lives anyway. When you have to use another platform and it's separate and you have to download it into SCORM and upload it into this format and upload it over here, you're doing five or six different steps. And each one of those, you're just pulling a moment in time. It's this downloaded asset that's clunky that you have to put elsewhere. With IORAD, we integrate with 
almost all learning platforms, whether it is an LMS or a content hub or else or other type of system. And so we can allow for that content authoring to happen where your learning content already is so that we're, okay. we're taking down the friction points of how they're making and where they're making that. And then from the end result is really where, what matters most, which is the learner's perspective. If I wanted to show you how to do something in one of your LinkedIn posts, uh, Christopher, you put, you, you used to go to YouTube for everything, right? How do I figure out how to do that? And you're watching a stranger on this screen do a thing in what you hope is the most up-to-date version of that software. And then you're yeah. looking at it, something on a separate screen, you're going like this and you're going, that doesn't match up. And then you're all confused. You're dropping a comment. It's a very broken way to learn technical how-to things. And so that's where with us, you know, we're really focused on this interactivity where you're going, oh yeah, let me get the muscle memory of what it feels like to go through that process. That is actually how people want to learn. That's why video games and all these other simulations are so popular because they mirror what it's like to do it in real time. It doesn't mirror a lecture, which we know is not a great way to learn. Okay. Well, and I think you, you hit on a few things that I just want to re- enforce because having spent a lot of time in the system space, <laughs> all of them resonate very well in terms of, you know, again, going back to that collaborative authoring, I still think there's a lot of opportunity for this, not only in the system space, but just in general. We talk a lot about user-generated content in our industry, but it is a lot harder and many tools do not make it easy for users to actually generate content. We're like, hey, wouldn't it be great if we had users generate content? And it's like, well, yeah, but we'd have to send them back to grad school to learn how to generate the content the way we need. And there's like 10, going back to efficiency, and there's 37,000 steps that they would need to do to do it. And then we wonder why they're like, I mean, good grief, you need my help. I'm fine with it, but I also have a day job. I can't commit to this kind of thing. And that that then again leaves burden back on us because then, oh, and I've seen this, then the L&D org ends up trying to pick it up and go, oh, okay, fine. You don't have time to do that type of a thing versus going back to the make time, make time for people being like, listen, in the time it's going to take us to jump on a thing, you could have already done it. The time it's going to take you to send the email explaining what you did, you could have just done it and then we're done. And I think that's a really important thing that we don't always take into consideration or even the time it takes to upskill someone on your own L&D team to actually learn the system. I mean, that's a long time being like, okay, now you're an instructional designer. Do you know how to use this very specific functional system that they only use? I mean, I don't have, I don't have enough IDs to do that kind of work. And I think all the other ones that you just hit on as well in terms of you know, maintenance is a nightmare for systems because like we've said along the way, the goal of systems is to constantly be improving and changing and making things easier. Well, that's great unless you're responsible for maintaining and managing <laughs> all of this other stuff that's like, wait, you just loaded that one? Shoot, they just pushed out a step update. That you, And I remember these days of going, I have to go back and recapture all of these screenshots and then remake these things and then go back and republish and put them. I mean, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. Yeah. Version control is a massive issue because of the convergence of a constantly innovating organization, which inherently means the L&D team is going to be working and chasing a moving target, which is, it's the nature of how these things work. 
but we have to be able to leverage tools that make it simpler to do. And that's why we really try to move away from this moment in time uh, application or system training. And because everything with IOREDIT is embedded, meaning it's sitting as a live iframe or an embed in your LMS or in a live link somewhere. The benefits of that are the fact that if I, which I do all the time, is like, I spelled that thing wrong. I missed this thing. I did that wrong. I just go in oh, and make gosh. a quick edit. And everyone I've ever yeah. shared that with, every LinkedIn post I've ever put out, every Slack message, every post in a course in my LMS is all now updated with the one change. Not, let me download that. Let me upload it. Did I remember all the locations I put it in, right? It's a singular asset that is a living, breathing thing. And when you're tackling that moving target, it's inevitable that you have those things. And it's usually this button is now over here, not there, or this screen. Looks right. it's, it's, it's almost rarely something that fundamentally changes the functionality of the system. It's usually some sort of UX change that yep. you go, oh, for Pete's sakes, that button moved from there to there, but it does fundamentally disrupt things. And you do end up creating chaos for your user when they're like, I can't see it now. <laughs> and then they put yeah. in the ticket. Yeah, absolutely. And when they can click on it or when they can see it and interact with it, then they get in the real experience. And it's, again, muscle memory versus what we know doesn't work, which is memorize these words or pictures and hope that you can then learn from them. And that that's going to like build in use case and like practical application. It just doesn't work. Right. Like that's why people like to learn on the job. And that's the, the well, same. and I think the thing with this is I think, you know, for anybody listening on an L&D side who's thinking about this, this whole content management strategy, this has broader implications than just systems and tutorials for folks who may be in that strategic component of thinking through this. Or even if you're a designer thinking about what is the best way to design, because this does become a real problem for organizations that we don't always, again, you don't always see the trickle down effect of even something like we made a job aid and it's a PDF. And then like the example you gave, that PDF now sits on 10 different knowledge bases and has been emailed to 500 people. And now you make an update, but you don't even necessarily know where all of that went to even know how to hunt this down and go, that actually isn't even the right one, you shouldn't be using that anymore. And I do think this is one of the things that I'm a huge fan of cloud content management in this space. And you should be looking at this, not only for system stuff, but document, I mean, any of these things where when you make a change, it can push and update something and get in the habit of that. It makes a huge difference in terms of organizational strategy. Yeah. I mean, back to the linear versus exponential, it's the exact same thing, right? By not doing that, you are incurring such a massive administrative cost because now every ticket is going to be a two-second solution or a, a link to an updated version that is not a good use of time, right? And, and that's that's really the reality of this, especially now, but it's, it's always present and especially when people are having to do more with less. Well, and I just, <laughs> really practical example of this for folks who may be being like, I think I get it, but I'm not sure. I remember at one organization I was with, an email went out to the enterprise for something that they were supposed to do in the HR system. And it was time bound. It was really important. And there was something wrong with the screenshots that went out in the email. And it was like, here's how to do it. And I remember working with the IT teams on the volume of tickets that came in from people going, I'm doing the thing in the email and it doesn't work. 
And yes, they send a follow-up email out saying, oh, we retracted this. That was the wrong. But it's like, it's too late. It's too late versus had they just done it the right way, they could have gone and made that tweak and then been like, are you sure? Just click the, click the thing. Oh, there. Yeah. See, I guess looks like we're good, (laughs) but I just, the administrative burden behind it is insane and people don't take it into account. It always amazes me. I, I found this to be true. I'm curious on your thoughts. When it comes to a piece of learning content, I find two distinct camps. The person who just absolutely won't even open the email and just does not care about what you put together. And then the other people who will follow it so closely that you'll get 33 questions about the why the box isn't perfectly aligned on the thing. And they are microscopically uh, dissecting every element of what you gave them, right? So yeah. could not care less and could not care more, right? And it's just like that middle ground is incredibly difficult on the IT team, on the learning team. And so like, you're just setting yourself up for failure because you're going to have these big cohorts of people. I'm not sure your experience, but we see this time. No, well, and I think the thing with that spectrum of folks is there are a lot less people. While we'd like to think this is where more people are, there are a lot less people that are comfortable in that ambiguity space where they go, "Mm, I read the email. It's not exactly what it is, but I'm going to critically think and problem solve here for a second and just figure it out. That's not what the majority of people do. And I think that's one of the things that we go, oh, well, that's what I would do. And it's like, well, that's because you're familiar with the situation and you may try and do, but the average person doesn't. And so how are you making sure that you go, how do we just at least do everything we can to mitigate that risk? Because it's a serious risk. Absolutely. And you're never going to eliminate it, but there are things that you can do to mitigate it. So where I want to go, where I want to transition to, to, potentially bring us into the home stretch, but we'll see. Maybe I'll bring some more things up because we could probably talk for quite a while on this. But people who have listened to my stuff for a while have heard me talk about digital enablement and system enablement uh, on many occasions. Because to me, this is the, like, I don't know what analogy to use with this, but this is the portion of L&D that often doesn't get a whole lot of airtime. We don't like to talk about system enablement. We don't like to talk about systems. We like to talk about other stuff, skills and fancy things like that. Um, But people who have listened to this have probably heard me talk about digital adoption platforms in the past. I have been, they've been on here a number of times and I'm a big fan of them for this real-time enablement. That said, IORAD is not a digital adoption platform, nor are you necessarily trying to even compete with that or be a replacement for that. Where do you sit in that space just for people who may be like, so is this a DAP type of a thing? Cause you're not. So I want to be clear on that, which to me is not a, that's not good nor bad. It's a different use case of this kind of capability. So the, the mindset that we take is to be people and process first versus product first. And digital adoption tools do have their place, but they tend to be technical, very linear in nature, uh, sorry, very um, uh, like logic, like if this, then that logic and complex and all about product and feature and call outs and terminology, right? And what we find when you have flags popping up in this guide and that guide, people aren't sure about the context why do I care what this button does? I don't know that I even need it yet. Why are you telling me about it? Like these sort of things. So they have their place, 
But what we find is we want the subject matter expert or whatever the process is to, or the, whatever the tutorial topic is to be around a process to help you do your job better. Cause that's actually what people care about. And they don't really care about functionality unless it's in the lens of what is going to solve their, their problem. So often we'll see like workflows where there's just an assumption. Well, you're in your CRM, you're going to want to build this automation and you're going to click this button and then that button. And then here's the tour that's going to, to give you this vernacular, insert the blank term, right? And with us, we're much more focused on like, what does the user need to accomplish? So we don't pop up on the screen and, and do waves and flags and all those sort of things. We're much more of just the end-to-end -end process of like, if you needed to add a new contact in your CRM, you're going to go through this flow to do so. Okay. Here's where we are. So we get weaved into digital adoption when we're bringing on a new system and we have lots of people to train. It tends to be complementary assets, learning assets to help with process of how to get things done in technology. But we try to leave it open to the end users to document what that ends up looking like versus saying it has to be this linear flow. Uh, so I don't know how helpful that is as a description. No, it is. But. Well, because again, I think sometimes when I, when I talk about these things and a lot of the questions I get are, well, do we need this or that? And a lot of times I end up going, I don't know that you're thinking about it the right way. Because again, if somebody's watching this or listening to this going, well, so do we need IORAD or do we need ADAP? My question would be, well, I don't know. Maybe it's both because there is room in the space for both of these things. Going back to your point of there are times when the contextual asset is relevant outside of the system. And I think that's one of the things we talk a lot about. Everything needs to be in the flow of work. I actually don't agree with that. I don't agree that everything needs to be in the flow of work. I think there's a time and a place to say, Hey, sometimes you need to break people's attention to give them some additional context to, to what you said, or even some of these other elements where you go, yeah, well, I mean, sometimes there is just this, no matter what kind of DAP you have, there's still this organic flow of things. And again, with a DAP, from a scalability standpoint, you may not be able to get into all of these nuanced, oh, this is this very specific thing that sometimes has to happen. It doesn't raise to the scale of our digital adoption platforms going to account for it, because quite frankly, this is more of a, the exception to the norm. Like, how do you do this kind of a thing in these situations than a, well, whenever you're in here, these are the kind of guided flows we need to do to keep you on business process. Well, that's great. But what happens when that doesn't work or there's an exception to the rule? Oh, shoot. Well, now we need to scale Sean's knowledge who knows, hey, this is the unique nuance to this. I think the other thing that I would add for folks that may be in this space is that DAPs are great, but there's a lot of infrastructure and expertise that are required to support them. And, I, and I've personally seen organizations who have heard my content on DAPs and go, that sounds really great. And they go down that path and they're given pause because they go, oh, I don't know that we're quite there yet from an infrastructure and support standpoint. And I've, I personally have found where you play actually augments adapt well, or can be a nice way to step into, Hey, maybe we want to be more involved with some of this digital stuff instead of just always going, Oh, that's not our lane. That's it. Okay. Doesn't need to be though. 
our one of our main goals is democratization of this know-how, right? So making it simpler to create and access and consume these different processes. And when we usually get brought in against a, a digital adoption platform or in co collaboration with or to augment one, it's typically because they went through the process, as you mentioned, and said, I need two developers and three systems experts and these other people to build a very straightforward thing for the end user takes a tremendous amount of infrastructure, as, as you eloquently stated. And so what we find is that the path of least resistance, the quick capture, the simplicity, the less is more of the click-by-click -click paths and the process, it's actually exactly what most people want for the majority of tasks. There are very technical people that need a lot more than that. And that's perfectly okay. But we get brought in very often by project manager, uh, product managers who are trying to take their very high level expertise and, and uh, simplify into more consumable fashions for people. And, and that's where we really just see the speed. You know, you're going to be making 50 tutorials in the time it's going to take you to make one digital adoption flow, right? And that flow is going to be far more powerful than an IORAD tutorial. Like you're going to be able to do if this, then that logic and crazy. Well, and the analytics and the analytics. I mean, this is Absolutely. again where it's one of those, like it's not an either or. And I think I just wanted to make sure I make that clarification for folks because I do talk a lot about system enablement because to me, it is a huge opportunity for performance improvement in your organization. I mean, massive. Just talk to your IT team and their ticket load and their ticket volumes on some of this stuff. If you want to be a strategic business partner, team up with those folks and say, hey, how can we help you with some of this stuff? Bring some of this know-how and go, I think we've got some solutions where we may be able to lean in. But to me, this is not a either or or in competition with one another. But I mean, I've led organizations with massive DAP infrastructures and we still had needs for these kinds of things because it was like, well, no, the DAP isn't for everything. We don't use it for everything. Just like you don't go, oh, the LMS, that is what we do for everything. No, you shouldn't. If that's literally what you're doing, you're not using the tech the right way. Yeah, happens constantly. We get used in tandem with these tools all the time, especially with larger orgs that are, they're um, basically managing multiple audiences, internal, external indirect sellers, like all different kinds of audiences that they have, some that they have lockdown control over, some they don't, that content has to flex and, and mold with those different audiences. And so, yeah, it's definitely not a uh, either or, I think it's you know usually an and or a complement to. Yep, completely agree. Uh, so out of this, you know, I'm curious, the last thing I'll ask that I hope won't open us up to too much on this, but let's say an organization isn't necessarily playing in the system space. What are some things where you've seen organizations get started that has worked really well? Because my experience has been, if you, if you step into systems and you're not fully prepared, you can quickly end up biting off more than you can chew. So where do you see organizations get started with this? So they aren't signing up and committing to something that they're going to regret later and go, I am so sad that we even said we were going to do this. Well, at the same time going, no, but by us doing this, we're adding some real strategic value to an organization. Yeah, there, there's a healthy balance there. So the, the first thing that you know we focus on is just um, removing friction from even the starting process. Like we have a free version to make it very simple to just test these things out. 
the first thing I usually say to people, if, first of all, if you're watching this video, you would benefit from interactive tutorials because the, the fact is tools are just how you do your job now, right? Yep. Again, I gave an example of a landscaping business from you know 15 plus years ago, right? It is impacted in every single industry. Tools are what we're using, especially in the post-COVID world. And so that means your people have questions about how to use them first, how to use them better, how to use them in the future. And there's all these sort of things. So where we usually start is like, what are FAQs? What are the things that you get a, a message internally and an email about and a text message every other day about how do I do this again? Where do I get this? How do I submit that? Start to document those things where you normally be making a long-winded video that the second it gets created is now out of date uh, by its nature, right? So think about those sort of things where there's a moving target element. So it's changing and adapting where you get asked about them all the time. That might be two things. That might be 200 things. And the ability to just document some of those things into central places. It doesn't matter if you have an LMS right now. We have people that start with a Word doc and they put the links to tutorials in them. And that's where they start because it's better than having to answer one-off questions. And so less is more with a lot of this. Just getting started helps you open up to the broad world of possibilities. But I think it has to start with like FAQ related things because you will see an absolute ROI on time spent because you're already having to field those things very inefficiently now. Okay. Well, and I think that's a healthy balanced take for folks uh, as they consider this kind of stuff. Because to me, there's just tremendous value in some of these things. And so, I don't know. I think sometimes we don't always like to do the plumbing in the house. I just use these house analogies a lot of times. You know, we like to focus on the the lawn and the landscaping and the things that everybody sees that everybody goes, wow, you know, that looks so amazing. And that it, it speaks well on the conference circuit on how we transformed leadership. And those are all important things. I don't want to dis diminish the value of some of this stuff. But what I continue hearing from employees, and as I read, I just read the latest workplace burnout report. I mean, people are shot. They're just shot in being able to do things. And sometimes, I made a comment about this the other day, but sometimes the learning and development that gets created out of L&D is a cleverly disguised burden on the workforce. And when I think about what we're talking about here of recognizing people are using these systems and they're getting stuck and they don't know what to do about it. And they often have nowhere to turn. They don't know where to look this stuff up. Now in this hybrid world, they don't have Sean or Christopher that they can go tap on the shoulder and go like, I don't know how to do this type of a thing. And this is a real opportunity to improve that for your employees and actually improve the workplace and workforce experience, which at a time like now is, I mean, it's always really important, but right now more than ever, I feel like people need this kind of support. Absolutely. One of the things that I would leave you with, uh, the, the last stat I saw around uh, turnover with employees, especially in like tech forward industries was around 18 to 24 months, right? That, that employees staying with us in an organization. Most organizations are not very well optimized for their knowledge and uh, pulling that knowledge out of their people. So with every person that leaves through a riff, through a move, and a, uh, whatever, they, they move internally upward or downward in the organization, they leave for whatever reason, we bring someone else new, so goes with it the knowledge that person had. If they were a remotely yeah. valuable employee, 
They are taking with them a set of broad principles for how they execute their work. And I, most of the time, the majority of that know-how is not documented somewhere. And so you, you yep. miss an enormous amount of untapped potential within your people when you don't give them a safe space to be able to generate, to share, to collaborate on these things. And when people leave, you start to see the repercussions of that because you have to reinvent that gap of where they were. And this is such an important thing, whether you're just had to lay off a large cohort or you're hiring a, a, you know, in, in bulk, it's the same problem. And this is where I think people can start to think about the true like impact of this in their orgs. Completely agree. Well, hopefully for those of you watching and listening, uh, this has challenged your thinking and made you, made you think about something that uh, may be a category you haven't put a lot of time and thought into. So Sean, I really appreciate you joining me. Fun conversation as expected. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and the same to everybody watching. Thanks, Christopher. Thanks, Christopher.